Comedians as well. It was in 67. 67. With Doug. Well, thank y'all again. <laughs> well, um, it's good to be here again, um, and it's uh, good to see uh, familiar faces. Um, this afternoon, uh, I know a lot of you uh, this morning and this afternoon have seen my four boys, the older four boys, and and then Zeke, he's the youngest. Um, but if you've seen them, uh, you know how uh, energetic they are. And so um, as, as, as their dad, um, we're constantly, and, and, and Bethany, my wife, we're constantly trying to rein them in and, you know, let them be boys. But uh, it's, it's a difficult job. And so uh, tomorrow night, um, I know we're having special prayer but uh, I told Herbert today that we're going to also have to have a special prayer time for my dad uh, while while we're at his house. Um, so y'all uh, y'all be praying for him. No, in all seriousness, they're crazy. Um, well, you interpret as you will. No, but uh, it's it's good to be here. And um, for those of you that weren't here this morning, um, we we started out looking um, at our need for the gospel and how we never outgrow our need for for Jesus. And um, and we also talked about how um, the book of James that talks about in chapter one how the Bible and the, the hearing of the word being preached is is like a mirror. And what James is saying in that passage in chapter 1 is we need to line our lives up with what we're hearing and what we're seeing and seeing if they're one and the same, see if Jesus is really at work in our life. And we talked about how what we proclaim with our mouth, if we claim, pro- proclaim to know Jesus, is the same thing we're proclaiming with our life, the same thing that's being lived out. Are we bearing fruit of following Christ? And we, we talked a lot about really asking ourselves the hard questions, the questions that we hear coming from Scripture, questions like, are, is there being fruit bore in my life? And do I really know Jesus? And we talked about the difference between knowing who Jesus is and having a belief in Jesus that changes our whole life. Because there's a huge difference in that. And we're going to go even deeper tonight in, in looking at why we need the gospel. But I want to, I want to tell you um, a story about um, a young man uh, we just lost a few weeks ago. His name was John Michael Ritchie. And he worked on staff uh, at camp for a few years. And um, just 20, he was 20, 23 years old. Uh, newly married, um, and we just had a, a, a funeral for him a few weeks ago. Um, left a young wife uh, behind. Um, there was a there was an accident, um, and he fell off a cliff and and died um, from a head injury. 
But it was so cool. Um, I didn't actually get to go to his funeral, but to hear the testimonies coming from the memorial service, it was just, it was so cool. In the 23 years, what, what an impact he had made on so many people. He was a, uh, a, a teacher at a Christian school in Cobb County, uh, Georgia. And there were, I think, 2,000 people in standing room only at his memorial service. And, um, one of the pastors that came out of that, uh, that service, he was talking about how we spend a lifetime preaching our funerals. And if you think about it, we really do. The things that will be said of us, the testimonies that will be told of us about our life, we're preaching those now. And it's a, it's a sobering thought. What will be said of you at your funeral? And we talked about this morning how We've been called to live with the gospel as a lens that we view all of life through. Whether we're raising our kids and continually trying to point them to Jesus. Or our friends at work. Our family. How are we living this life that he's given us? What are we doing with the breath and the heartbeat that he's given us? Because we know he is the one that sustains life. He's the one that gives us breath. And we talked this morning about how it's so tempting to try to do things on our own and out of our own strength, but that doesn't last. So as we continue today or tonight, I want us to continue in that, that thought process. As we're hearing from the Word of God, what are we doing with it? And how is our life lining up with it? I want you to stand with me like we did this morning. Um, I'm going to read from Ephesians again. And then I'm going to pray over the service. So listen as I read the the words of Paul. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is a gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we as we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them let's pray Lord, as we hear from your word, I am so thankful that you've given us your word, your revealed word, your word, your holy word, your holy scripture. You have revealed yourself in your word. And to know you is one and the same. We, we, we should know your word and be in your word, be studying your word. Father, that's how you speak to us. And so often we, we forget that. We forget how you've chosen to speak to us and to reveal yourself. But Father, I pray that you would continue to use this week. Use these times of opening your word. And I pray that you would help us, Father, to examine ourselves. Again, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourself to see whether you're in your in the faith. And we need to continually do that. Asking you, Father, how, how are we doing? Are we following you? Are we proclaiming the gospel with our life? Lord, I pray that you would help us to ask the hard questions. And like we talked about this morning, Father, there is no one that lies to us or complains to us more than we lie and complain to ourselves. So in these inner conversations that we have, in this inner monologue, I pray that you would help us to be honest with ourselves. And the only way we can truly do that is to listen to what you're saying through your word. And I pray that you would help us to do that. Father, I know that there are those of us that are sitting in here tonight that don't know you. And like we talked about it this morning, our lives are telling a different story than what we can, that what we're proclaiming with our, with our mouths. And I pray that that would change. Father, there are some of us that have been, become lazy and complacent. And I pray that that would change. Father, there's those of us that are sitting in here tonight that are hurting. And we need to hear from you. Lord, we need to hear from you. We don't need to hear from me. So I pray that you would speak to us tonight. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Now we will look at more of why we need the gospel. We talked about that this morning. And the doctrine of sin and how it's central to our understanding of the gospel. 
We're going to be looking at that tonight. And the doctrine, doctrine of sin just means the study of sin. If our understanding of sin is unclear, every other truth in Scripture will be affected. We will find that truths about sin always point us to the glories of Christ. We can never talk about sin without quickly talking about Jesus. As we proceed in this message, the bondage of sin should appear so miserable that we will hate sin all the more whenever and wherever we see it in ourselves. We should hate sin in our lives. But a lot of times we don't. A lot of times we hold on to it. And that's the flesh. And we're going to talk more about that. But listen to this quote from, uh, from Ed Welch. When Paul talks about sin in Ephesians, he uses two different t- tenses, past and present. And we just saw that in Ephesians, the Ephesians 1 passage that I read. When referring to the past, Paul talks to those who have put their trust in Christ and reminds them of who they were in slavery to evil and what God did in Jesus. When referring to sin in the present, he knows that our redemption has not eradicated sin from our lives. We still battle with it every day. We are still in a raging battle, but we fight against sin, not as dead men and women, but as those who have experienced the power of the resurrection that enables us to fight and keep fighting in the Spirit. When we battle against sin, we don't battle out of our own power. We battle with the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's good news because I know I can't do it on my own and you can't do it on your own. That's why it's so important to keep focused on the gospel and keep asking the Lord to guide us and help us. Let's start off with this question. What is your deepest problem? Think about it. What is your deepest problem? Obviously, in this context of this discussion, you know the answer I'm looking for. Sin is your deepest problem. But outside of this context, you might give a different answer. The sullen teenager would not say that sin was her deepest problem. Pimples, perhaps, or parents, or lack of money, but not sin. The aging athlete says to the ravages of time, create his worst problem. The business person says, the boss. The husband says, my wife. And the wife says, my husband. The single person says, if only I had a spouse, my aloneness is my biggest problem. The cancer patient points out to the disease and the uncertainty of medicine. But what is your deepest problem? The book of Ephesians makes it clear that your deepest problem is sin. It was, is, and will be until you die. Your nemesis, meaning your enemy. If you do miss that crucial fact, then the glories of Christ will not seem very glorious. The love of God will not seem very loving. I remember speaking with a woman at our church who struggles with depression and despair. We talked about how we had been forgiven and how we can forgive. Her response was, okay, I know these things, but what do they have to do with my depression? They don't work. She did not see that she had a deeper and bigger problem. In the 19th century, the London Times once asked its readers, what is the greatest problem of the world? 
The novelist George MacDonald responded, I am sincerely yours, George MacDonald. We need that kind of awareness. My deepest problem is that I remain a sinner who sins. I know your deepest problem, and you know mine. Sobering thoughts. And it's true. We struggle with sin every day. And I'm going to just be honest. Most of the conversations that I have day in and day out with people as a pastor and as a a co-pastor at camp, I continually have conversations where people aren't realizing that sin is their biggest problem. They point to everything else. They point to every excuse. But they don't want to deal with the central opposition, the central enemy, and that sin. See, we can't just jump Sunday to Sunday or Sunday to Wednesday and think that's going to be enough for the battle. I have to be a warrior. You have to be a warrior and battle and wage war against sin daily. And we're going to talk more about that as the week goes on. But we need to understand that we are under assault every day. And most of us think we can come in to a church service or go through a revival service and hear the pastor preach, and that's enough. But it's not. We have to immerse ourselves in the Word of God if we're ever going to think we're going to overcome these battles with our flesh. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Where did it all start for us? And most of us know where that started. I want us now to go back to the beginning. Let's for a moment remember Genesis 1 and 2. Our good and all-powerful God and Father speaks and the universe appears out of nothing. Think about that. God the Father speaks and things just start happening. It's crazy. At his word, light pierces darkness. He pulls dry land up out of the ocean and then shapes valleys, hills, mountains. And like a painter, he paints brilliant colors onto a canvas. God sends planets out into the open space of the universe. He starts filling the skies with birds, the sea with fish, whales, lobsters, crabs. On land, he speaks and rabbits start hopping around, horses running through fields, and elephants just appear. And like an artist admiring his handiwork, he steps back and declares, it is good. And then he turns to us. The first humans, Adam and Eve, and they lived in perfect harmony with God. As the pinnacle of God's glorious creation, we were to reflect the image of our creator. We were to be mirrors of his majesty and a living testimony to the good rule of our father. Peace. Everything was full of peace. The kind of peace in which everything works according to God's intention. God created this world for human flourishing, where we could live in the joy of the presence of our maker. Worshiping God by loving him and one another. God set his affections on us, his human image bearers, whom he created to share in the joy of his love forever. Through reading and studying Genesis 1 and 2, this story teaches us a lot about God. It teaches us that he is one one and all powerful. He is transcendent, 
directly involved in creation, but not a part of creation. He is not an impersonal force, but a personal being who delights in his creation. He delights in me. He delights in you. He alone is holy and set apart from us. He alone is God. He gives Adam and Eve some instructions as they do life in the garden. God shows that he is to be glorified through obedience. Through our submission, his glorious reign. Therefore, God has authority, the authority to create, to assign tasks, to forbid certain actions. But this kingly authority is not one of a tyrant or an abuser. His authority is forever connected to his love. As a good, good, glorious display of fatherly affection for the good world he has created and entrusted for the good world he has created and entrusted to his human image bearers. And we look at that and we're thankful. Thankful that he saw fit to create us. We should be thankful that he's all powerful. We should be thankful he's not an impersonal force. He's very personal. He wants to be the central focus of your life. And he alone is holy and set apart. He alone is God. We should be thankful for that. And now we turn to Genesis 3. And we know it as the fall. Have you ever noticed how many children's films are about the main character being separated from his or her father? I think about the movie, The American Tale, and that uh, shows you, I guess, some of my age. 1986, The American Tale comes out. Fievel, I think I said that right. Anybody? Fievel? All right. Fievel, a mouse whose curiosity leads him to a forbidden part of the ship. And in a terrible storm, Fievel is swept out to sea and spends the rest of the movie trying to get back to his papa. Finding Nemo, a little fish who rebels against his dad's orders, gets caught up by a fisherman and ends up in a dentist's office in an aquarium. And the movie shows his dad through all kinds of difficulties coming for his son. We can all relate to these movies. And we're all drawn in. Why? Why do these stories of separation and reunion and return strike a chord in us? Why are we so drawn to the stories like this? Because in one way or another, these stories mirror the great story of the world, which turns from a peace-filled world of belonging to a devastating fall that leads to exile. So what happened? What happened in Genesis 3? For that answer, we have to look at Genesis 3. And if you will, turn with me. I'm going to read the first 12 verses out of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the, of the both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of, presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard, I heard the sound of you in the garden, but I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. What we have just re- read is referred to as the fall. And because they represented all of humanity, their actions affect us too. The fall represents us all because it speaks of us having descended from something or someone, God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all know that passage from Romans. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And this is where it happened. We are all affected by this. We are daily reminded of the fall. The ugly consequences of our sin have disfigured what was once perfect. And, the day, and daily we see the effects of our sin through pain and suffering. I want to read now a, a quote from Trevon Wax. Sin is personal. We are guilty of a cosmic treason, asserting our own lordship of God. We seek worth and value in something other than the source of all worth. Our hearts are idol-making factories. We seek to worship anything, just not the one who has made us. Make no mistake, sin is ugly. And until you get a grip on just how ugly your sin is, you will never fully understand the gospel story. Until we fully understand how ugly sin is, we'll never fully grasp the gospel. We have to understand that. Until you see how devastating the sin that you are battling against every day or not battling against at all. Until you see it as ugly as it is, you'll never understand fully who God is and who He desires for you to be. We see the effects of this fall constantly. We know it personally, and we see it all around us. Just in these few verses, we can see how, const- how we are constantly affected. In verse 1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden? And we see in this this first verse of chapter 3, Satan sows doubt. Anybody else struggle with doubt? I know I do. And so we see right here in the first verse, Satan goes to Eve and sows that doubt. 
I know daily I'm tempted to doubt. I'm tempted to doubt my Savior and my Lord. What are we doing to combat that on a daily basis? And do we even see it? Do do we even see that we're tempted with this doubt? Let's look at verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read those again. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 1, Satan sows doubt, but now he's just flat out lying and calls God a liar. And in these, this exchange, we hear echoes from our own reality that we live in. We hear, God cannot be trusted. Don't we hear that? It might be from coworkers, family members, a husband, a wife that's a non-believer. We hear God cannot be trusted. We also hear God's word is not relevant or current to the culture that we live in. What's that sound like? Supreme Court decisions? Culture shifts? All lying about God not being relevant to our lives today. Or God's word is so constricting. Really, what are we hearing Lies. Lies are Satan's way of tempting people and getting people not to trust God. These are lies that other people tell other people. So it's not only about what Satan's lying to us about. We are also liars and we struggle with lying. Does this sound familiar? If you just have an affair, you'll be happy. We've heard people say that, haven't we? Pornography. If I look at this, it, w- it really is not going to hurt anybody else. And w- it will get my mind off of my problems. Again, a lie. I'll tell you this. Pornography is killing this generation. It's killing our country. It's killing our world. And it's a lie from hell to believe that it's okay to look at these things. And I'll tell you this, men, listen to me, and not only men, women. One of the biggest aspects of my counseling with young people and men is dealing with this issue, pornography. And the lie that it's not hurting anybody else. I just walked through... um, a rehab uh, program with one of my good friends. He went into rehab for his struggle with pornography. Pornography is so addictive. It's just as addictive or more addictive than drugs and alcohol. And it's a proven, it's, it's proven by science. And I know that there are guys in here, you're struggling with it. You're being lied to and you're lying to yourself and you need help. Or the one that we hear a lot, my kids would be better off if we divorce. Really? Your kids would be better off 
if you're not together. It's a lie. We hear these things constantly. We see the effects constantly. And I know I've only given a few examples of the lies that we hear on a daily basis. I want to read again verse 6 and then 9 through 12. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for her, good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. We see Adam, and he's standing there doing nothing. Satan goes to Eve, but Adam's right there with her. He's standing there doing nothing. We see the effects from this from men all throughout our society. Common things we see. We see abuse of men. Abuse is evil and it's pathetic. Screaming, yelling, being domineering. It's an effect that we see from Adam. We get that from Adam. Abandonment. Men leaving their responsibility, responsibilities, leaving their families. We see it. It's all around us. Avoidance. Avoiding the leadership role they have in their families and churches and in society. It's all around us. The effects of the fall are all around us. We see all of this rooted in Adam's inactivity. As men, husbands, and daddies, we are to disciple our kids. And we're going to talk more about that on Tuesday night. But it's my responsibility to disciple my boys. Daddies, it's your responsibility to bring your kids up and point them to Jesus continually. It is not just Herbert's responsibility. We've all been called to be pastors and shepherds of our own homes. But we see the effects of Adam in all of us because we struggle against it. We don't want to do it. And the only help we have is the gospel. That's why it's so important to run to Jesus daily. We are to disciple as men. Discipline. We are to discipline our kids. Do you realize that it is unloving to let your kids just do whatever they want to do? And a lot of us don't see that. You think the way to love your child is to be their friend, be their buddy. Well, you know what? We're not called to be buddies and friends. That comes later in life. My dad, he's my buddy. He's my friend now. But he was my daddy. We need to be daddies. 
love sacrificially, be involved, defend, provide, set parameters, stand up for, feed, clothe, pray over, pray with, and simply fulfill what God intended for men to do in the first place. Take care of his flock. Take care of your family. Be the man that God has called you to be. And the only way we can do that is to continually go back to Jesus every day. We see the effects of this fall all around us. We as men need to learn from Adam's failures. We recognize that we would have the same tendencies. I have the same tendencies to fail my family every day. And you know what? Sometimes I do. But in those times, I have to get back on my face and cry out to the Lord. Lord, give me strength. Because I'm a selfish individual. I think about myself first. But I have to fight against that. We all have to fight against that. We all have been affected by the fall. Men, women, children, everyone. Thankfully, we have a loving father. Thankfully, right after sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, he reveals to us his rescue plan. He promises that one day that one of Eve's descendants will make right what she and Adam have made wrong. And we can see this plan come to life starting in Genesis 12. God chooses Abraham to become the father of a great nation. And from Abraham, we can trace through the Old Testament the lineage of the promised one, the redeemer, the rescuer, the one who would make all wrongs right. Jesus. Jesus was God's answer to all that went wrong with Genesis 3. In the person of Jesus Christ, God himself comes to renew the world and restore his people. The great story climaxes with the death and resurrection of Jesus by submitting himself to the Father's will, even to the point of dying on a cross. Jesus undergoes the curse of Adam. Jesus himself takes the punishment and the re- for human sin. Jesus fulfills through his perfect life of obedience, death in the place of sinners and resurrection to new life. All necessary for God's rescue plan to to be put into motion. And we know the way to be part of it and to be called up into this great story of redemption is by repenting and trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Any problem you come to me and ask me for a solution, I'm going to say Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus daily. We cannot hop from Sunday to Sunday and think that's going to be enough to fight against what the world's calling us to, from what our culture is calling us to, from what our enemy Satan is calling us to, and most of all, from what your flesh is calling you to. There's no way. We have to understand that our sin is our biggest problem. We forget this far too easily or we just ignore it altogether. I have to understand that I am my biggest problem and Jesus is my only hope. We have to hold on to that. One of the guys that's a part of our church, he's a member of of Red Oak, the church that I'm one of the pastors of. 
came to me a few weeks ago. His name is Jason. And Jason wanted to talk to me. So we went and sat down at McDonald's and we had breakfast together. And for two and a half hours, Jason just, he spilled his guts. He talked about how for over a year, he had been wanting to talk to me. A year. He had been wanting to talk to someone about the problems that life was throwing, him, throwing at him. And Jesus, uh, Jason, Jason had claimed to be a believer for a long time, and I believe he is. But Jason had never grown in his, in his faith. He had never grown in his relationship with Jesus because he had been too prideful for all these years to ask someone for help. And so we walked through how to study the Bible. We walked through how to battle and fight against sin. And on that day, Jason got over his pride and asked for help. I know there's men in here you're sitting in here, and you've been struggling for a long time. I know there's women in here. You've been struggling for a long time. And we need to realize that our biggest problem, our biggest struggle, is the sin within. Remember those conversations I was talking to you about? And I have hundreds of conversations. We have Thousands of people come through the camp every year. And one overarching theme that I can really pull away from that is people tell me all the time that they're just not hearing from God. And so I'll ask them some simple questions. And the first one I start with is, how much time are you spending in His Word? And the answer I most, on average, most of the time get is, well, you know, it's just hard for me to understand. I don't really, I'm not a reader. It, it, I lose my, my focus real quick, and it's, and, and you know, the Bible just doesn't hold my attention. And I'll say, oh, really? And I'll, and I'll go into, well, do you realize that the Bible is God speaking to us. Do you realize this is how he is revealing himself to us? Do you realize that all the answers that we seek for problems in our life, they're right here? They're not on TV. Dr. Phil doesn't have the answers that you're looking for. Your counselor unless they're pointing you to Jesus, doesn't have the answers that you're looking for. God reveals himself daily to us, but we're just not listening. And the second thing I go to is, well, how much time are you spending talking to him in prayer? Well, I, you know, prayer is just it's tough for me. I don't really know, you know, how to talk to God and... and most of the time when I speak to them, you know, I don't get the answers that I want. Really. So you don't spend time in the Word, and you really don't spend time in prayer. 
Well, Mr. Obvious, you're not listening to God. Because He's continually speaking to us. We just have to listen and quit speaking at Him. Quit demanding things of God. He is God. We are not. We submit to His Lordship. He does not submit to your Lordship. We need to understand that sin is our biggest problem. And as the week goes on, we're going to talk about how we preach these truths to ourselves. How we battle and wage war against sin in our lives. When I leave here this week, I want to give you tools. I want to give you truths that have helped me. Things that God has shown me. I want, some, I want to give you something that you can hold on to. And after I'm long gone from here, you can look back on this week, this time of self-reflection, this time of self-examination. And you can remember this as a time of change. You can remember this as a time of, of picking up the tools that God's already given us to make these changes, to make war against sin. Do we realize that sin is our biggest problem? Really. Ask yourself. Self, do I realize that sin is my biggest problem? It's not my boss. It's not my wife. It's not my husband. It's not my kids. I get in my way most of the time. I'm my biggest problem. And the second thing I want us to ask ourselves, what, if anything, are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? I'm going to ask Herbert to come up. I really, I want us to spend this next few minutes as I'm praying, I want you to be praying along with me. Asking yourselves the hard question. Do we realize sin is our biggest problem? And are we doing anything to wage war against it? Let's pray. Lord, Father, tonight I pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us. Continue to lead us to repentance, Father. Continue to look and dive into your word. Continue to come to you in prayer, asking you for help. Father, the gospel is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer for what went wrong in Genesis 3. And Father, we see the effects of what happened to Adam and Eve every day. We feel the weight of that. But Father, you sent Jesus here to make that wrong right. You sent Jesus here to rescue us from death. You came to us, Father, because you love us. And you care for us. 
But as a good father, you won't just allow us as your children to do whatever we want to do. You won't allow your children to trample the blood of Jesus, as Hebrews speaks about. As a good father, you will bring us to a place of repentance if we're your children. You will discipline us as a good father should. And so, Father, I pray that you would deal with us tonight in only ways that you can. Father, I know that there's some that need to be awakened out of death and darkness sitting in here tonight. There's some that are sitting here tonight that have just been playing games, and I pray that that would stop tonight. And Father, we all confess we need you. We need you, Jesus. We need the gospel's influence in our life daily. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Five eleven, the solid rock.
pray that we'll take time to be in the house of the Lord and let God speak to us. Again, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, visitors. Thank you for Revelation. Uh, thank you, Gilbert, for playing piano, friends, for leading music. Uh, who are you going to kiss, Joe, tonight?